intermittent fasting, 13 to 15 hours, lose weight. You want to increase growth hormone. You want to increase testosterone. You want more ketones for better mental clarity, 13 to 15 hours. Autophagy is where your brilliant body looks within and it says, okay, no food's coming. So I better be a better version of myself. Those cells start to repair. They kick out viruses, pathogens. They kick out metals. They kill cells that are going to turn into cancer cells. Like you at 17 hours of fasting, you go into this crazy repair phase. At 24 hours, your whole microbiome reboots and you get stem cells in your gut. If you've been on birth control, antibiotics, mouth toxicity, even removing uh, breast implants, all of that destroys the microbiome. So throw some 24 hour fasts at it. 36 hours, you're burning more. You start to really go after stubborn fat. 48 hours and you reset dopamine pathways in the brain. And then 72 hours, you reboot your whole immune system. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. And the episode today is epic. On the show is Mindy Peltz. You can call her Dr. Mindy. Uh, she's a functional health expert. She specializes in women's health, fasting, uh, detoxing. The conversation today had the most amazing articulated flow ever. It was, there's so much in this for men and women. Most of the time we talk about women, but just understand that anytime we talk about women in the episode, that uh, if you're postmenopausal and you're not having your cycle anymore, it's basically a men's cycle. So this will still apply to men too. Um, although we do talk a lot about women and we talk a lot about women in their cycle. It's just an area, like most studies are done on uh, on men. And so having data on women is just magic and it's so helpful. And in the episode, we just talked about, you know, what are the pillars of health and what, uh, what kind of fasting windows you should have and at what point in the month, if you still are in your cycle. Um, we talk about coffee, we talk about wine and chocolate, we talk about so many different things that can really help with your health and help with your hormones. And at the root of all of it is are these sex hormones. Must, must listen to even all the way to the very end. This is something that will serve you for the rest of your life. I am very, very confident about that and that there is so much benefit in fasting. And I'm about ready to have to go do myself a long fast because she talked me into it. So please enjoy this episode. Uh, hit subscribe if you like what you're hearing. And please let us know in the comments what you think and what more you want to hear about. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. How are you today? I'm awesome. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm staying at my parents' house. So if there's like dogs or a, children, a child that happens to run by or a parent, <laughs> like just bear with us for a second. It'll feel like my home. So no worries. Oh gosh, really? Do you have a bunch of kids? Uh, well, they're grown now, 22 and 19. So they're launched. And uh, so we're like official empty nesters learning how to live in a quiet home. But it was like a party for 22 years. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that you had kids that old. So fasting really does work. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm doing everything I can to slow the process down of aging, oh no doubt. I hear you. I hear you. How, I mean, how long have you been fasting? Like, was there some impetus to it? Did you have a health problem or a weight problem? Like, what yeah. was it that made you go, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna not eat. And then, yeah. Oh, well, let's find the science now. Yeah. It's, it's such a good question. This is what I always say is like, 
I really should not have been the poster child for fasting because I was the person that carried snacks with me everywhere. I got up and had breakfast every morning. Like the fear of going without food because I would spiral in my moods, my energy was most my life. That's you, huh? Yeah. Can so. So I, you know, I, I just landed into it to try to find a solution for my hormones. So at about 40, the, the, the general story is that at like 40, I was in great shape. I had goals of like fitting in my skinny jeans and I needed a, a a number on the scale to be a certain way. And I wanted a certain energy and I hit that. And at 43, I was like a hot hormonal mess. I was not sleeping. I had, you know, night sweats. I had, um, I had fo- brain fog. Like my whole body felt like it had gone off. Hmm. So I was trying to figure out what had changed because my lifestyle hadn't changed. I had my workouts were the same. My food was the same. Like everything was the totally. same. So when I went to go look for what happens to women when they go into their forties. I realized that one of the things is estrogen naturally starts to go down. And so as it naturally goes down, we become more insulin resistant. And Mm. as we become more insulin resistant, new things show up and new symptoms show up. And so fasting can help the mental clarity. Fasting can help the weight loss. Fasting can help balance estrogen. Like once I started to look at all of that, Mm. I was like, whoa, this is a tool that I need to check out. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer a reference to the inner eye chakra, one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. So what is the relationship between insulin and estrogen? Because I just understand insulin to be sort of like the catch net for your blood sugar going up. Like when you're, you eat, your blood sugar goes up, insulin comes in to pr- bring it down, right? Yeah. yeah. And so what is the correlation with estrogen then? Yeah. So, okay. So here's the way that I like to explain it is we have a hierarchy of hormones. So at the bottom of the hierarchy are the sex hormones progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, like they're at the bottom, which means that they least like, important or foundational. Does that mean? Like, least yeah, important you could say foundational, you could say okay. foundational, but okay. what you'll see when I explain the top three is like, they are so manipulated and influenced by insulin, cortisol, and then oxytocin sits at the top. The best way to look at this is when our sex hormones will respond to changes in insulin. So here's a great example. Um, PCOS. PCOS is the number one hormonal problem for women. 
And it is directly connected to insulin resistance. You take a a woman with PCOS and you get her insulin under control. You get her detoxing those two things because phthalates also plays a big part into PCOS and you can change PCOS. I've seen it a thousand times, but you got to get her insulin sensitive because she needs to be insulin sensitive to get those foundational hormones under control. Here's the trick is that above that is cortisol. So you take a Mm -hmm. woman who's like super stressed out and she's trying to get insulin sensitive and she can't because cortisol forces us to hold on to more insulin, hold on to more glucose to become more uh, in that fight or flight stage. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. above that is oxytocin. So oxytocin is the hormone that makes everything better and Mm -hmm. it balances cortisol, it balances insulin and it'll balance those sex hormones. So when we're looking at, to answer your original question, when we're looking at hormones, they're flipping moving targets, like, you know, right. As you are experiencing. So you get estrogen in balance and then all of a sudden you go on a three to six month, like binge with your food and insulin gets off. And now estrogen is going to start to tank. You get cortisol under control. You decide to change your lifestyle and maybe you're you're doing better and all of a sudden progesterone starts to balance out. So each one of these hormones influence the impact on the other ones, which is why they are so hard to balance because they're always changing. Yeah. Well, what are the main factors to balance them then? Like if you were to have buckets, like how many would yeah. you need and what would they be? Yeah. Like of like food, fasting, emotional stability, like what are those things? Yeah. So I really say there are five things that women have to do. So the first is fasting. And here's here's the way I approach fasting. And it's so different for women than men. So that's the first thing I want to point out. Right. I have a lot of questions about women versus men. Okay. For sure. This is a, this is a huge one because when I first learned fasting at 43, what I noticed was my mental clarity went through the roof, like at my three o'clock dip in the afternoon, gone. My sleeping was good. My night sweats went away. Like all these really weird perimenopausal symptoms cleared up just from the first one, which is fasting. And it's because I finally got insulin under control. Mm-hmm. But for, and we can go into this later, but for women, estrogen loves when you fast, progesterone doesn't. Progesterone is like, cause, cause right. Cause it's like, <laughs> and progesterone, right. And we need progesterone to feel like a normal human and not kill everybody. So, but progesterone is so influenced by cortisol. So when we do too much fasting, we start to tank cortisol or we start to elevate cortisol and tank progesterone. So as women, and we can go into this in a moment as women, we need to know when to fast and when not to fast. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. That, and men don't have to think about that. Right. Men can just fast whenever they want. And from what I understand, women can fall into the men category once they finish menopause yes. and they are out of their cycles. Well said. Okay. Amen. Yes. Which is, is awesome. And let's talk about the menopausal, perimenopausal woman. 
it's nor it, a healthy age to go into menopause is about 52, somewhere between 52 and 55. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most women, and this was me at four thir- at 43, many women, I shouldn't say men, most, many women are going into full on menopause at 43 at, and mid forties. And when you do that, what happens now is you set yourself up for the diseases that a lot of women get later on, cardiovascular disease, uh, the breast breast cancer, ovarian cancer. So with fasting, what I'm trying to help women see is that when you learn how to fat, when to fast for estrogen and when not to fast for progesterone, and you learn like a rhythm with fasting and you get yourself insulin sensitive, you will prolong your period, which is fabulous. And it'll put you into menopause at the appropriate time to prevent disease. Okay. Well, how do we do it? <laughs> there you go. So that that's that's fasting. The um the other four ones that I think every woman needs to think about, and I don't know if you know this one. This one blew my mind. Is that we're not meant to eat the same way throughout every day of our cycle? Yeah, to some degree, because I um have become friends with Elisa Vitti, who wrote yep. in the Flow and Woman Code, and yep. because I had cycle issues, and my whole story doesn't is is its own thing. But anyway, right. it drew me into the book, and so I then started to learn sort of like a more of a rhythm to like certain foods that help with estrogen follicles, progesterone, like and 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 just allowing your body to get into its into a rhythm. And so right. there's the sort of like four cycles of food per month, obviously right. that correlate yeah. with correlate with which part of the month you're in. Right. Which is, let's just stop there for a moment. Like I know in my 13 year old gym class where I was taught puberty, that there was nothing talked about. Like you might want to carb load a little more before your, your cycle starts. You might want to do a little less carbs when you actually, your cycle actually starts. Like right. nobody taught us that. No, 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 no. There's like, (laughs) there's no real teaching on the fundamental things that really affect you in life. Like, you know, your cycle, uh, relationships, self-improvement, like your emotions, your trauma, (laughs) right. There's so many things we don't learn about in school. Like we're being taught like proofs and geometry and shit we'll never, ever need. Right. But you know, then we come to real life and we're like, I don't know. It's a no man's land. So thank you for sharing this stuff with us. Right, right. Well, so this is my big, once I figured out how to fast and eat around my hormones, that's at 43. I was like, wait a second. Why did nobody teach this to me at 13? And why didn't I learn this in my 20s? Like, where was this education missing? Which is so such a huge part of why I'm just trying to wake women up to help them see this which is amazing. So if there was a quick way to say like what those sort of eating patterns are, is that easy enough to give us some tips on each phase of your cycle? What I've done is I created something called the fasting cycle and Mm -hmm. I took a 30 day period and I mapped out when a woman's hormones were coming in and what food and fasts we can time to it. Yeah. We even, by the way, can time our exercise. I don't know uh, yep. if Elisa talked. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's food, exercise, there's emotions, sex, like every category gets covered. So every category, I mean, yeah. all the biohacking, cold plunges, like, are we supposed to do those all the time? These are all questions I've tried to map to the hormones. Yeah. So, 
So this is the way it works. On day one, we have this plummet of all our hormones. So the right. first day you bleed, and you've probably, since you've talked to Alyssa, you know um, that our hormones plummet. Now, those first couple of days, estrogen is going to start to ramp back up. And over the next 10 days, estrogen slowly builds. Estrogen loves us to be insulin sensitive. So when, after the first couple of days are over with our cycle, like into day three, we can do keto, we can go into longer fast. All of that is only going to benefit estrogen's production. So I always think like we have women in our community that they flip and love three-day water fast. Have you done one? I've done 36 hours. Oh, awesome. Okay. So you're, you could do a three-day. It, it's, We're going to talk about hunger at some point in time. It's a, a lot spiritual of experience. Uh-huh. So yeah, at three, so these women, you know, they, people love to do the 36, 48, three day and cause it makes them feel so good, but it it's needs, easier. Are you saying it's easier than two? It's way easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way easier. Good point. So you, that first 10 days, longer, fast, less carbs, that's going to help estrogen. Then we go into ovulation day, about day 11 to 15. Well, you've got estrogen at her, at her peak. You've got test- testosterone coming in for the first time. Let's just talk about that, how biologically amazing we are that testosterone comes in during ovulation. That mm-hmm. is that is super smart of our body. That's why we want to get it on. Yeah, right. Exactly. As we're, we're supposed always, to. We're supposed to during ovulation, which is like, there's a tip from the men of the group. Uh, so, but then we need to help break down those hormones. So during ovulation, less fasting. I even find people who are doing keto at that time, not a great choice because testosterone needs a little more glucose in our system. Okay. So more of like working on your microbiome. We have a whole set of bacteria that break estrogen down, break our hormones down. So you want to bring carbs back up during ovulation and, but nature's carbs, this isn't go sit on the couch and eat a, you know, box of pizza and a tub of ice cream. So, and so you want to bring your carb load up and fast a little less. Then we come out of uh, our ovulation window and we have another dip of hormones. We can fast again. Then day 16, we can go keto again, 16 through 18. We're golden. But then progesterone decides to come in around day 19. And that's the moment we need to chill out a little more. We need to bring glucose up because here's the thing about progesterone. In order to make progesterone, your brilliant body actually becomes more insulin resistant the week before your period so Hmm. that it can make progesterone. It purposely blunts insulin from getting into the cell so you can have more glucose to make progesterone. Hmm. That we should have been taught. So there's a reason you crave carbs. There's a reason you want to kind of go inner and you don't want to be like, like pushing your workouts. You don't want to be raising cortisol. You don't want to be fasting. And that all happens the week before. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, this is like, this is, will change if this was taught and this is something we implemented, I can't imagine the benefits in the long term. So we're a generation away from it. Okay. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So we've talked about, so what are the first two categories for the most important things? So we had 
We just talked about fasting. Fasting number one, number two is Barrier certain foods, foods yep. for the phase of your cycle. What are the what's the next? So point? number three is a little bit of what I mentioned with the gut. So we mm. have these set of bacteria that break estrogen specifically down, but they also break our hormones down. So what I'm finding is that so many women have been on birth control for so long. They've been on multiple rounds of antibiotics and their microbiome is a hot mess. So you can give that woman HRT, you can give them bioidenticals, but if they're not taking those, those key hormones and breaking them down in the gut, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So the third one is let's focus on foods that repair the gut. And there's three categories of them, the polyphenol foods, the probiotic and prebiotic foods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at like the average person eats one and a half servings of vegetables a day, and that's, we need like six, seven servings a day. We're just not feeding our microbiome. So that's number three is really get into more, more green leafy vegetables are the best, but even things like hemp seeds, chia seeds, um, seeds and nuts, if they're done right, can be really good for the microbiome, even dark chocolate wine can have wine can, <laughs> can affect the microbiome positively. Right. So there, we don't, it's not deprivation. It's, it's knowledge and knowing what you're doing to support your hormones. So polyphenol foods, uh, probiotic and prebiotic foods are a hormones gift because you can break that down. What, what are polyphenol foods? So, so polyphenol foods, think of them like, here's how I think of the microbiome. It's like a pet inside your gut that needs to be fed. Mm -hmm. And those three foods I talked about all have qualities that feed the microbiome. Polyphenol foods have a high antioxidant um, capability that will nourish the bacteria so they grow. Okay. Uh, some of the greatest ones are like what I just said. The wine really is some of the greatest. <laughs> I make wine. So like this is like singing to my right soul right now. <laughs> right. I, and I'm not saying that women should just go out and start pounding <laughs> bottles of wine, but, the, you know, dark chocolate. It's not a serving size? Like the bottle's <laughs> not a serving size? Yeah, it's that's going to have to be a personal choice, but uh, it also lowers cortisol, so that's nice. Yes, which is yeah. emotions, which we can talk about at some point. Okay, right. so that's the third one. What's another? What's the next? Uh, fourth one is detox. So what happens when you go into your forties is that the ovaries go into retirement and they start to take like a ten to fifteen year like decline, and they're like, okay, I'm out. I'm going to stop making sex hormones and I'm going to hand that over to the ovaries or over to the adrenals, which we'll talk about in a moment. But in that decline, our hormones in our forties are going up and down. Like we'll mm. be high one day, we'll be low the next. And that wild ride signals to the body to release toxins. So wherever you've got toxins, lead is stored in the bones in your mouth. I know you just did an explant, like mm -hmm. smart, awesome job, by the way. Thanks. Incredible. Yeah. I know it's Crazy. not easy. It's like a silent epidemic in my mind based yeah, on agreed. what I've learned. Yeah, absolutely. So what happens to women in their thirties is all those toxic issues don't really show up, but in your forties, they're like, Nope, we are coming out of the tissues and when they come out, they go up into the brain, they go into the hypothalamus and pituitary, and they start throwing off hormones. And now we've got women that are like, I was like 43, 40 years old, 44 years old, and really having depression, anxiety, 
and you know all the symptoms we get with menopause. And we na- we label it perimenopause, put it in a little little bucket. Sure, and we just call it, it aging and say it's just right. part of life, and give it no give it no nothing to do but just sit there and let women suffer. So toxicity is huge for women in their forties. Everybody's going to have to learn to detox. Um, is this something that can be done on a regular basis or should be like, let's say you test and you know, your levels are okay. And, um, is there a certain protocol? Like, are you saying they should kind of, you should kind of keep up with it. Like there's a certain amount of sort of sweating and binders that you should do just on a regular basis versus sort of maybe like three months, like hardcore cycles with DMSA and all the stuff that it takes to truly chelate. Um, or, what are you, what are you implying? It sounds like you've been detoxing. I've done a, I've done a, I've done nearly a full cycle of chelation. Um, I had, I've kind of phased through a few different couple of different doctors. And so I, I got pretty far through the round first round. Um, I think I had a couple cycles left of it. Um, but I mean, I just tested my metals again and I'm fine. So yeah, I saw that. That's amazing. Yeah. Really crazy. That's a whole nother interesting topic about. So the first thing to, to toxicity is you remove the toxic source. So that's what you did. (laughs) Good job. But for some people it's living in a moldy home. Sure. Other people it's mercury in their mouth. Sure. And hereditary lead leads hereditary, right? right? So that's just something you got. Yeah. So that was my, my heavy metal was lead. And when I went and tested myself, my sister and my mom, you could actually see mom's is the highest older sister is the second highest. And I was, yeah. So it gets passed down. Yeah. Right. And then I went back and looked at like, when I I had some reading comprehension uh, challenges as a child, and I went back and looked Lead actually slows down uh, your ability to to take words and turn them into and lock them into your cognition in your brain. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they labeled me as like not smart. I just had lead. Yeah. So. And so the thing is, is you've always had that. But what you're saying is, is that once you kind of get into your 40s, when the hormones sort of paths shift and they're not as, as, uh, efficient as they used to be, they come to light. That's right. That's right. And I think that's the big thing for women to realize is when we get into our forties, there's this shame and guilt that happens because all our old tricks don't work anymore. We used to be able to, right. We used to be able to out exercise everything. We used to be able to diet our way out of everything that does not work anymore. So, Mm -hmm. and a large part of that is because these toxins come out at, as the hormones shift. And to answer your, your other point, when you go to detox, it's not as simple as you're probably learning as just throwing chelators and binders at it you've got to support your detox organs. So your liver, your skin, your lymph, your gut, your brain, like all of these organs are working on detoxing you. So making sure you're supporting those. You got to then pull it out of your body first because the third and the last step that changes everybody's life is pulling it out of the brain. If you don't and you start to just pull it out of the brain, it gets dumped into the body and the body's not ready. So it has to be very strategic. Yeah, Yeah. it can be dangerous. You don't just like go sweat and then take a handful of binders and or buy some DMSA or whatever chelator you can find on the internet. It's dangerous. That's 
well point. said. That's what I I yeah. watched so much about that because my yeah. mercury was so high. It was uh, 170 when it was originally tested it's on crazy. the on the um um uh, provoked urine test. And yeah. so, what is it now? Yeah. Uh, the last I think when I was checked, it was four some four four basically. And the, and it was detox plus explant. Implants number one, probably the most important thing because it's like a perpetual sort of like feeding of the of the toxic metals. But um, I did nearly a round of chelation. Um, and then last summer, while I was training for the Boston Marathon, uh, sweating, which I know sweating is really important, I was also saunaing yep. and taking binders um, in 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 um, conjunction with that to get rid of things. So yeah, I I I mean I I did all those things. And yeah, well it done. was a rough summer last summer. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and that's the thing about detox is there's no one way to do it. There's yeah. your way to do it. Yeah. And when we don't know where you're stuck or what your pathways are doing and sure. just being patient and methodical and having somebody guide you through it is make, will make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Detox. Well and then what's the fifth most important? Uh, okay. Thing? The fifth one, this is my favorite. And oh. you should interview this woman on your podcast. Okay. Uh, it's called uh, rushing woman syndrome. And I didn't come up with that. Her name is Dr. Libby Weaver. And she wrote a book many years ago about what happens when women, what happens hormonally to women when they're in that rushing lifestyle, which was totally me. And it's all about how cortisol, when cortisol comes in, we, all of our hormones start to go astray. Like you could, you could take your life right now and all the wonderful things you're doing. If you put a bunch of stress on there and an overscheduled life, it you're just ramping up cortisol and you're slowing down your healing process. Mm -hmm. So we've really got to mind cortisol so much more, especially when we get in our forties, um, because those hormones are already going into some interesting places. Mm -hmm. So if we're like rushing from thing to thing, if we're, we're stressed out all the time, and then that woman tries to exercise like to the extreme, you try to fast to the extreme, all of these things start to make our, our sex hormones go out of balance. So time, time fasting is a fasting is a stressor too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what happens? I'm just curious. Um, is there a, is there a certain point in time um, when, and I'll tell you my story at the end, is there a certain point in time where you, you sort of activate that cortisol enough that it shuts down? Oh, like a, like an adrenal fatigue. Adrena Cause I yeah. had my, I did the Dutch test Yeah, and yeah. the Dutch test, it, my cortisol spiked in the middle of the night and I woke up and it went down from there. I woke up and it didn't come up. Yeah. It just kept going down, well, Yeah, yeah. which is indicative of adrenal fatigue, right? Well, so adrenal fatigue is, so yes. And adrenal fatigue is really a connection from the hypothalamus, pituitary and the adrenals. Okay. So what we have to remember with all endocrine organs, they don't work in isolation. They work as a team. Mm -hmm. So when let's use you as an example, as toxin, a toxic load is building up, we're getting the hypothalamus and pituitary is not working. They're not hearing the messages from the adrenals as much. And then, you know, put, you look at, just look at what you did for a living cortisol and adrenaline had to be at its highest. And so you were constantly calling on those adrenals over okay. and over and over again. Yeah. And so your whole system just finally crashed and was like, we are not big, big <laughs> <things>. <laughs> exactly. 
I hope you're going to use that video clip. That was too good. Definitely. We're going to hear. <laughs> let's, let's screenshot that, Jen. <laughs> that was good. But yeah, um, it, I mean, you, you, when, when I look at what you're doing now is you're, re, you're repairing your body from yeah. what you did for a life, for a career is yeah. you got to rebalance that cortisol to be able to rebalance the other hormones. That's super beneficial. All right. Let's talk like specifically now about, um, fasting or was there anything else you wanted to mention about adrenals? I know you had said something earlier that we'll talk about that. Is there anything, any tip to, is it an, just basically, you know, what are the main factors that, um, sort of tap the adrenals? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life, everybody's yeah. life. I think, I think what I'm learning, I will say at 52, is that I'm learning that there's times to go into sympathetic fight or flight. And that's how our body was meant to be. And it's okay. We're not trying to like, just sit on the side of a mountain and meditate. We mm -hmm. want to be able to go in, but then when we sit down and we're not busy, we want to be able to relax. Right. And so there, there should be this sort of seesaw with sympathetic parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm. system. But what I'm seeing with so many women, this is what I experienced. I'm sure you experienced this as well is there's so much fight or flight so often that that becomes our driving nervous system. We don't have a well-tuned parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so when we come to fasting, what happens is we try to use that same type A, like I'm going to rock this fast. Sure. And all we've done is put ourselves more in fight or flight. So mm -hmm. when we go to repair those adrenals, we've got to also repair the nervous system. We've got to detox and we have to learn life balance, which okay. is the hardest. So maybe to kind of close the loop on just, cause we'll get more into details of fasting and different things, but like, is there a recommended amount of fasting length fasting periods for, um, cause we kind of, you kind of articulated this sort of, um, flow of how a month goes for someone in her cycle. And, um, basically the most sort of the lengthiest, lengthiest term of fasting could be used for men and women that are, um, post-menopausal, correct? Yeah. Right. So what would that sort of, what would those windows look like as you went through your cycle? Through the cycle. Yeah. So mm -hmm. let, let me go one step before that. Cause then I think mm -hmm. it'll help people understand where it fits in the cycle. Okay. So based off the science that I've seen and what we see in our resetter community, we do different fasts every month. So, and then people report back what they're experiencing, both cool. men and women. Yeah. And, um, what we see is that there are six different length fasts that people can benefit from. And I'll go through them very quickly. Intermittent fasting, 13 to 15 hours great. I mean, that's what so many people are doing yeah. and what it's really great. I mean, the research is all, I mean, you don't have to go far to see amazing research there, but mm -hmm. if you want to, you know, lose weight, you want to increase growth hormone, you want to increase testosterone. Um, you want more ketones for better mental clarity. 13 to 15 hours is amazing. 17 hours. We start to, to trigger something called autophagy. Mm -hmm. Autophagy is where your brilliant body looks within and it says, okay, no food's coming. So I better be a better version of myself. And so those cells start to repair. They throw, they kick out viruses, pathogens, they kick out metals, they kill cells that are not going to, that are going to turn into cancer cells. Like you at 17 hours of fasting, you go into this crazy repair phase. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. At 24 hours, your whole microbiome reboots and you get stem cells in your gut. So if you've been on birth control, antibiotics, mouth toxicity, even removing uh, breast implants, all of that destroys the microbiome. So throw some 24-hour fast at it and now you're repairing, you're getting that repair. 36 hours, you're burning more, you start to really go after stubborn fat. 48 hours and you reset dopamine pathways in the brain. So you start to experience more joy. And then 72 hours, you reboot your whole immune system. Wow. I I do not know a supplement, a drug, anything that can accomplish that, like fasting. That's why I love it. Wow. How often would you recommend more extreme ones beyond right. the 13 to 15. Cause to me, that's where I fall. I sort of fall in the 12 to 15, even 16 is kind of hard to get to. Yeah. Um, I usually just like use 12 for sure. Yeah. Um, but then the longer ones, whoo. Ooh, we're going to get you to do a longer one. You're going to love it. So here's, here's the way it works is that if you look, I look at the cycle, like a circle on the first part of our cycle, like day one to day 10, um, again, the, any of those fasts I talked about are Got great. It. Yeah. Okay. Ovulation period, you really 15 hours is good, but we don't want to stimulate autophagy during ovulation because mm-hmm. what can happen is a lot of those metals can get redistributed into the brain, into the body. Um, some people will have worse detox symptoms. So I like to keep the fast for women under 15 hours during ovulation. Got it. After ovulation, those four days afterwards, you can go into, if you want to throw a three-day water fast at it, great. And then the week before your period, no fasting, which is really hard because, yeah. I mean, like eight hour, like, it doesn't matter. Just like, you don't, not above 13. You really want to keep it under 13. So if 13 is easy and you're like, I can just do it. It's super simple. Go for it. But what you don't want to do is raise cortisol. So for most people, 10, eight, 10 hours of fasting is going to keep cortisol where we want it. Okay. Okay. What about, um, what about where we slot workouts in with this cycle and, um, should you work out fasted? Uh, does that fit in? You know, that's, this is, this is a controversial, uh, topic. Sure. I, I mean, I, I literally like it, it's something in my head. That's a controversy. Cause I'm like, fasting's a stressor workouts, a stressor. Like I'm trying to take care of my adrenals. Yeah. I'm trying to take care of more, my hormones, trying to not slow metabolism down, trying to not slow my thyroid <laughs> down. Like there's so many things that I'm thinking right. of and I'm like, wait, but there's so much benefits from it. And they talk about there being a lot of really good positives with like yeah. training in a fasted state. So yeah. So where do you stand? Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I found is again, the front half day one, I'll just use the days because it's easiest. We start in the hormone world. We throw all these fancy terms around luteal and follicular. And Mm -hmm. I think for the the lay person, they're just like, I don't know what that means. So um, I like to make it a little more clear day one to day 10, you can run a marathon. You can take on a new CrossFit class. You can up your workout. You're going to do great. Uh, During ovulation, you've got testosterone. And so use testosterone to your muscle advantage. So yeah. So start upping your strength training during ovulation. If you want to do more cardio during those first 10 days, great. More strength training during Mm -hmm. ovulation. 
Then when you come out of ovulation, again, we have that weird little dip of yeah. hormones. You can go back into pushing your workouts and, and really you could do more HIIT training. You could do more cardio. You can kind of do whatever you want. And then the week before your cycle, stop pushing it. Yoga, Pilates, go for a hike. So we, when you look at, when you work with a trainer or you create your own workout plan, it's usually done on a weekly basis. Like, okay, yeah. I'll True. run on Monday. True. I'll strength train on Tuesday. Yeah. That's, exactly. For women, we should do it on a monthly basis. We shouldn't do it on a weekly basis. Because if we map it to our hormones, like if you're trying to build muscle, flip and do it during ovulation. You've got testosterone to help you really power through that. But okay. we don't look at it that way as far as okay. I know. Okay. What about um, where coffee fits in? I always have to ask about <laughs> coffee because I love coffee. Yeah, I did. I stopped coffee for two and a half months last summer when I lost my cycle, when my, like my lymph nodes were so swollen and I could feel them getting worse when I drank coffee. Like yep. after a cup, I was like, oh, I can feel it. So, I yeah. mean, like I was obviously <laughs> pretty high load of toxicity in my body, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, um, sure. but I'm very curious about it. And then also maybe adding in a perspective on, um, you know, adding fat to your coffee yeah. and if, you know, kind of being in a fasting mimicking state is beneficial or not. And maybe the difference between weight loss and autophagy and cellular health and longevity. Okay. Let's start with coffee. And if I forget the rest, you'll have to, yeah, I'm, I, I ran back. a lot. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I want to know a lot of things. So no, I just... love it. It's such it's I think the the whole world can benefit from fasting, not just women. Um, you know, we're talking about women, but obviously men rock fasting. Totally. But what happens is we get into the path, like you were saying, like there's all these amazing things I can do for my health. And we get in that path and then we get stuck and we just push the health tool out and go, ah, it didn't work for me. But there's a rhythm to all of this. So with coffee, my first question is, were you doing clean coffee? Do you know if you were doing like chemical-free, mold-free coffee? I always make sure I drink like mold-free, clean, organic, like, you know, I mean, I think an easy one to probably go to would be like a bulletproof coffee, right. um, yeah. like brand, bulletproof brand, yeah. because, you know, it's advertised and supposed to He's be low, low mold yeah. and toxicity. So, yeah. So I've, of all the research I've done on coffee, I, it, the only time coffee doesn't do well for us is when it's toxic. Mm -hmm. So, uh, not to name any, any names of, uh, coffee shops, but, uh, you know, the, like the mainstream ones yeah. are, are their chemicals in a cup. So every time you're drinking that, you're giving yourself a toxic dump. That yeah. kind of coffee, I do not advocate for. Clean coffee is a faster's like dream because when we take a good clean cup of coffee, there's, and we put like MCT oil in it, put some grass fed butter, if that's your jam, put in some, uh, I put like raw cream. I'll do like not organic raw cream. So you're getting probiotics and enzymes in it. It's a bit like a meal. And it won't spike your blood sugar. It typically doesn't pull you out of a fasted state. And what happens is it'll actually help you make ketones quicker. Mm. The coffee itself can actually put you into autophagy quicker. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot wrong with coffee for fasting. When you get those ketones, it's ketones go up into the brain and they kill hunger. So now you wake up and you're like, oh, I was going to go till noon today fasting, but it's nine o'clock and I'm hungry. What am I going to do? 
have a cup of coffee with some MCT oil in it. You could put a little bit of raw cream in it. Not This is not coffee, mate. You're not putting like totally. a, a toxic creamer in there. And all of a sudden, wait, wait 20, 30 minutes and you'll see that your hunger goes away because it moves you into that fasted fat burning state much easier. Right. Right. And when you say raw, because I've been I've been sort of watching a lot of different things, talking people talking about um, like unpasteurized raw cheese and milk and things like that. But it's very hard to get. It's illegal in states. It's right. (laughs) I mean, don't worry, you can buy cigarettes, but you can't buy, you know, raw milk. So is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So raw. So what happens when we pasteurize milk is we kill all the good in it. So if you walk into your, let's say grocery store and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm going to go organic pasteurized. I heard that, it, you know, I don't want the antibiotics and the hormones that are in that milk. So I'll go, mm-hmm. go organic. Well, th- that's awesome because you're not getting the toxic load, but you're still putting a dead food into your cup of coffee. When you go raw, you've got the probiotics, you've got the enzymes in them. You put it in your, in your coffee, you're feeding your microbiome, you're breaking down any, you know, whatever food you're going to eat later that day. It now becomes a health food. How do we why get is it? it yeah. Why is it controversial? I, well, maybe why a lot of things are controversial because people learn how good they are for you. And there's some conspiracy against muting us from our pure potential. I don't know. I'm a Amen. <laughs> so, you know, Amen. I am high fiving you, know, you on that I mean, one. You know, synthetic painkillers are fine, but psychedelics aren't yeah. right. Like there's right. just like a, right. you know, stuff from the ground. So it is, right. you know, I have a lot of opinions on that, but so how do you get it? Like, cause I mean, I'm in Indiana with my parents right now and I was like, Oh, I want to get some raw dairy. And, um, we were like Googling it and looking it up and you can't get it. I was at a farmer's market last weekend and I asked a farmer about raw dairy and he's like, it's like illegal. You know, you have to pasteurize. It could have some bad bacteria from, I'm like, so basically the sourcing matters. And so, you know, so how do you get it? Like, what if you're in a yeah. state that it's, I mean, cause almost all States, I think it's illegal. It, the the company yeah well i'm in california so it's we seem to be able to get it here yeah. <laughs> so at our it's farmers funny, market yeah california is very that was the one that we saw california has um looser rules on it so yeah. can you ship it in can you, like yes. is it is yes. there a california company where you yes. can order some raw yeah it's called raw mm-hmm. farms Oh. And uh, cool. you can look them up online. If you have trouble finding them, just let me know and I'll send you the link. Cool. They are amazing. All they're all their dairy is raw and they have wow. everything from, um, you know, cream, which is what I use in my coffee yeah. in the morning to kefir. So yeah. and they have like two tum- golden kefir. So they have turmeric and uh, cinnamon and kefir has like trillions of good bacteria in it when it's not pasteurized. So what's the it- difference between milk and kefir? It's, it's more sour milk and it has more mm. good bacteria in it. Oh, is it a different sort of pumping process from the, I think it's what know? they do. At, I think it's afterwards. I think oh, the, they oh. ferment it afterwards. Oh. They like, li- I think really what they do is they leave it out so that those good bacteria start to become sour. Yeah. So it's like sauerkraut. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sauerkraut milk. Interesting. The things we do for health. Um, <laughs> Okay, great. So then what do we do? Like, you know, there's, I've, again, this is another area that I've read a lot about, about breaking your fast and how to do it. Ooh. And 
you know, yeah. what, what's the best way to break your fast? So thank you for asking this one, because w- one thing that I noticed as we started to fast the world was that people would get excited about their fasting window and they would either do one of two things. They would just keep fasting. They're like, oh, I'm just going to fast because I feel like a superwoman or Superman. And then when they ate, they didn't know what to do. So they were fasting too much, not sure what to eat. Or there was the boomerang people. Those were the people that were like, I made it to 20 hours. I'm doing so well. And then, yeah. And then they would go to and start eating down a pizza. So Mm. when you're in a shorter fast, I have come up with three different ways that we should break a fast. When you're in a longer fast, there's a four-step process that I've been teaching my my people. Got it. I was curious if there was a difference between a short and a long one. Okay, great. So, so briefly, uh, the three types are protein, um, probiotic and prebiotic foods. So the three, I call them the three P's, um, or you can break it with a, a fat and, and I'll explain the differences of those three people who are trying to build muscle. And this is really important. You want to break your fast with protein. And this goes back to your autophagy question. When we go into fasting states, we go into autophagy. Autophagy is repair. Autophagy is breakdown. Autophagy is the opposite of a process called mTOR. Mm -hmm. mTOR is where we like build. When we want to build muscle, we want mTOR. You stimulate mTOR by eating almost anything, but protein will stimulate the production of the mTOR pathway and help you build muscle. Autophagy will clean and lean you out they're both beneficial. So when we work out, and this kind of ties back to your workout question, when we fast, we work out in a fasted state, and then we come in with a protein-rich meal, you're now starting to build muscle like nobody's business because Mm. you have fasted and leaned yourself out. You've gotten rid of that extra glucose, and now you stimulated the primary mechanism to build muscle, and you pair that with with a strength training workout and you you give me a 65-year-old woman and wow. I can show you how to build muscle on her. And coffee? Is it and coffee yeah. before you go work out? You can out? do coffee too. Okay. Yeah. So that's so that's protein. I think that's my favorite. Um what about the-, the difference between a fatty and a low fat protein? Because I used a continuous blood glucose monitor last year too. I did ever I did everything I could think of. Um, and it's amazing how chicken can raise your blood sugar, but then yeah. you know fat, just it's fats, like the only thing that doesn't. And so there's also like a certain order of the way you eat can, that can really help with your blood sugar. So if you're breaking it with protein, what kind of protein do you recommend? Yeah. Um, I'm curious, did you notice what it did to your protein or when you did protein protein, what did it do to your glucose? If it was a fattier protein, sometimes nothing. Nothing. Um, but if it was chicken, that was a little bit of a more, a bigger spike. Um, It wasn't as much as certain sort of starchier carbs, Um, but, but yeah, protein did it like chicken seemed to the less fatty, the meat, the more blood sugar spike. So I'll be interested now that you've been on, you're on such a good health path that if you notice protein actually makes your blood sugar dip because it, when you have healthy mitochondria and you feed it um, the proper amino acids from different proteins, you actually should see your glucose dip when you eat it yep. like fat. Yeah. What? It's crazy. So d- any so, kind of protein? 
yes, any kind of like protein. I'm talking about like regular ground beef that has, you know, 17 grams yep. of fat per serving yep. versus chicken with, you know, zero or one, like any protein it's yeah, because it's about the amino acids. So when you, so let's look at all the proteins, um, chicken's going to have a different profile of amino acids right. than Turkey. Like Turkey sure. has more tryptophan in it and grass fed beef is going to have a different amino acid profile. And huh. when you're eating a variety of protein, you're nourishing those mitochondria and you're giving them amino acids that they need to function well. So Bury it's your protein too. Yeah. It's in variation. So when we go to a farmer's market where we look at, oh, here's goat. Oh, here's bison. Yeah. Oh, you know, here's buffalo. We try to get all the different types yeah. of meat so that we get a different amino acid profile. Wow. Yeah. And then that fuels the mitochondria, which balances, gives you more energy, heals your body, balance, you know, all the things that you're, you're trying to do with your health really boil mm -hmm. down to you're trying to repair your mitochondria. Exactly. So when we break our fast with protein, is it that we start with the protein on our plate first, or is it that we eat protein and then we wait a little bit and then we eat whatever meal, you know, respectfully yeah. in health that we choose to how, how is the, what is the strategy? Yeah. So you want to start with protein and then you can, you minutes later, you can do, you can Got do it. something else. You can also mix it like with something. So one of the things I love to do is a couple of hard boiled eggs and, um, or, or soft boiled and put them over an avocado, um, half of an avocado with some sauerkraut and sprinkle some hemp seeds on it yeah. and yeah. some sea salt. And that's a typical, right. Typical breakfast meal. And now I've gotten the protein, I, I've gotten the fat, I've fed my microbiome, and I can do that sometimes at noon and not want to eat again until seven o'clock. What about the strategy? Because I feel like I've heard different things when it comes to carbohydrates and not only you articulated throughout the month where the best times to eat more carbohydrates are. But, um, what about in the day? Because, mm, you know, yeah. I've heard nighttime helps with sleep, but then I've also heard that eating at the beginning of the day so that you use it and you have a, a purpose for it, uh, and less as the day goes. So what do you believe there with carbohydrates? Yeah. Oh, this is another really good one. Um, so again, what I want, I hope as everybody's listening to this, that you start to understand there is a unique approach to your health for you. So when we say nutritional statements, like what I'm going to say here in a moment, you have to realize that ultimately it's what you're trying to do with your health. Right. If you're trying to lose weight, when melatonin comes in around sunset, your eyes will register the red light of the sunset and will start to make melatonin. And so that you can become sleepy when melatonin comes in, you are more insulin resistant. So you, if you're trying to lose weight and you have a bowl of pasta at eight o'clock at night, that's going to be stored as fat more than if, yeah, than if you had it at three in the afternoon. So for weight loss, it's not great. Okay. Let's say you're trying to sleep. You're like, I don't care about weight loss. I'm pretty insulin sensitive. I just want to sleep well. Okay. If you go, don't have carbs at dinner and you have just protein tip, oftentimes what happens is you're waking up at two or three in the morning because your blood sugar dips. And at two or three in the morning, it hits this alarm. And all of a sudden your adrenals go, wait, glucose is going down. Cortisol come in and you wake up at two and your heart's racing and you can't get back to sleep. 
So the nighttime is tricky depending on what you want to do. The morning time is always earlier in the day is better for carbs because you get to, you get to use that glucose. So what about, um, I'm so I know these are nuanced questions, but I have an expert. So, um, something like, um, you know, there's a lot around having maybe a little bit of carbohydrate before you work out. I've totally watched things about keep it fasted, but then I've also seen stuff about, you know, the benefits of having a little bit of carbohydrate. And so I can sort of probably assume that while you're in those sort of first 10 days in that little dip window after, after ovulation that, you know, you probably don't need to worry about that, but during those other phases, is it wise to have a little bit of carbohydrate before you would go exercise? Yeah. And again, it's what you're, what you're trying to do. So if you're going into a really intense workout and you want performance, you want to kick butt in that workout, Mm -hmm. you would want to have a little bit of carbohydrate before you go in. But, but the right carbohydrate, I'm a big fan of nature's carbs, like some fruit or then as opposed to like a bagel, that would be a a, a better choice. Not as yeah, tasty. Yeah. We haven't ate bagels since the nineties and I oh. ate any of them. I would go rollerblading with my girlfriend and we'd go rollerblading for a couple hours. And then of course we'd stop at, you know, big apple bagel and we would have two bagels because yeah. we were ultra healthy. And then, you know, dinner, we'd have grilled chicken and then we'd have all the fruit in the whole wide world. And maybe even some white bread with fat free Italian yep. dressing to dip it in. Like, you know, the things that we used to do. For right. Sure. Right. Well, believe it or not, a lot of people are still doing it. The, what a lot of people people are doing is oatmeal. I feel like the whole world loves oatmeal for breakfast. Oatmeal or oat milk, both, both. Well, oat milk. Yeah, both, but oatmeal, the world loves oatmeal. And and my blood sugar was sky high with a little oats with a little bit of oats. Yep. I mean, just sweet potatoes and oats were my thing. I could eat popcorn or even chips and, um, rice and those were fine, but like, man, the oatmeal oatmeal is a danger zone. Yeah. Yeah. That there's, it's interesting because what I've noticed in just talking to so many people that are applying these principles is their exact opposite of all the trendy things and what we've been taught. So like oat milk, why can I get, why can I get oat milk at Starbucks, but I can't get raw milk? Like, Oat milk is no good for your, most people's blood sugar. You would, I, I think if we slap CGMs on most people, they would see that oat milk and oatmeal spike their blood sugar. Yeah. So yeah. we have to start questioning like w- these trends. Like Oat milk's what? like the new soy milk, you know? It where is. We were like, what were we doing? Right. Just like the bagel. Just like mom was running down the driveway, you know, in the eighties with the bagel for breakfast. We don't do that anymore. I, I do wonder today, well, of course, in those days, we thought it was the smart thing to do. And there's things yeah. we're doing right now that we think are the smart things to do. And we're going to realize some of them aren't. Yeah. Oh, and I wonder some? which ones those are going to be. Oh, you know? I can t- I can tell you. I, I can tell you exactly. We have to go back and look at how our cave friends lived. How did they, they lived off the earth? They hunted, they fasted, they did feast famine cycling. This is how the human body was meant to be treated. We were not meant to sit on our couch and go, oh my God, I'm hungry. Let me, let me pick up my phone and DoorDash and have food brought right to my front door from Mm. some processed place with the bad oils. That is literally killing humans. So if you want to know how to eat, go back and look at how our cave friends did it. 
Also, when I think about animals, like I just thought about a cow grazing, they're big, right? Right. A gorilla, right? Just grazing and eating grass and things like that. And then you've got like a lion who has to go and get its food. And there might be some feasting times, right? But then there's some famine times until you find your next, you know, deer running through the woods and uh, well, in the jungle and in the desert where where lions live. (laughs) Your next kudos. Or zebra. Um, but yeah, you think about the kind of even even from an animal perspective and the ones that graze versus the ones that are feast and famine with food. Yeah. And it does kind of tell a story. It's when you go back and look at and, and really think about the trajectory of humans, we are literally living in the same body as our as our cave ancestors. Mm-hmm. But we now have computers and phones and DoorDash and pantries and refrigerators. We are treating this human body completely different than it needs to be treated. So, in mm-hmm. we actually, uh, I just put out uh, of a fasting book that's coming out at the end of this year um, for women, and I was doing some research on it, and I found that there was actually a gene that became prevalent in humans because of the cave man, cave woman days. Hmm. And it's called the thrifty, thrifty gene. And basically what happened is that we became genetically slanted for fasting because in order to survive long periods without food, the only people that could survive that in the cave ancestor days were the ones that were able to genetically fast longer because sometimes they had to fast like a month. Genetic adaptation. Total genetic adaptation. Okay, that gene is in us now. So what, what's happening with DoorDash and eating all day and the comfort levels that we all are in with this, this crazy life of ours is we're going against our genes and that is building disease. So a lot of theories around diabetes right now is that not only are they so high because of the horrific food we have, but people are eating all day and they're going against their genetic profile. Hmm. Hmm. Crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, we're just lacking the accurate information. Um, You know, go eat. I mean, I feel like there was some thing where it was talking about wake up and eat your Wheaties or eat your sort of cereal in the morning. And it had something to do was then, isn't there a story about that? Oh yeah. Came up? What is it? Yeah. Okay. So there's two things it's Kellogg's and, and exactly. I, I don't, you know, no disrespect to the Kellogg family, but, but he actually did two things wrong. So the, and it all came down into the cornflake uh, cereal. So the first thing that he did is he came up with the slogan, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. That slogan was to promote his cornflakes. Okay, I have Googled it. I have looked to see, it, is breakfast the most important meal of the day? I can't find anything. And if you don't believe me, go, you know, the listeners, go Google right. it. There's nothing that shows breakfast. But we walk around in 2022 going, breakfast is the most meal of the day. We, we I've said kids. it. I've said yeah. it. Like, I'm guilty and I care about my health. Like, I, I mean, it's a, that propaganda was solidified. Yeah, right. Okay, this second one, and now I recently heard this on an on a on an interview. Somebody was interviewing me that his uh-huh. he put toxins in. Do you know this? In no, I thought it had to do with a wife, and it had to do with something about women. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it has to do with testosterone that he purposely did, created the chemicals and the way that cornflakes were were uh, manufactured was to to 
affect negatively testosterone to make people less uh, desiring sex, to tank their libido. Why would a man do that? (laughs) (laughs) I just heard that one last week because I was being interviewed on another podcast and they were saying, uh, we were talking about the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And this woman got so into it. She's like, I'm going to Google and find out what, you know, where I can see that. And then she found that statistic. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, cornflakes, like, there's so many mothers out there serving cornflakes to their children thinking that yeah. rice krispies cornflakes yeah. you know cheerios yeah it's yeah. crazy yeah. so we just we have to wake up and question everything i mean this is, i love what you're doing on your podcast like we got to question everything question me i always tell people this is why i put the put research out there this is why i have 900 videos on fasting on youtube Question me. I'm not telling you. I've watched 700 of them. (laughs) Hopefully I've been entertaining enough. Oh, you're super informational, super informational. You You, you've had the best information so far. I feel like on women and fasting and cycles and things like that. I started adapting some of that stuff. Um, What about how to keep your metabolism and your thyroid working? Because I feel like, and my understanding is that, you know, as your weight drops and as if you eat less, essentially there's your body adapts to a sort of lower thermogenic sort of set point. So how do you keep those things high while shrinking and eating less and less often? Such a, such a great question. And if you've watched 700 of my videos, you know, you know this already, but basically we have to redefine metabolism. So let's start with this. You do not speed your metabolism up by eating all day long. There's no evidence on that. So this six little meals a day to speed up your, your metabolism, it's, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but it's Where all, absolutely, that, all, the, all you okay. want. Oh, I haven't thrown down any F-bombs. I'll, I'll see what I can do there. But it's bullshit. Throw that shit it, down. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally bullshit. You do not speed your metabolism up by eating little meals all day long. Here's what your metabolism does. You have two of them. One is going to get energy when you eat. And we call this the sugar burner system. I don't like the name sugar burner because everybody goes, oh, I don't eat sugar. Anytime your blood sugar goes up, you are operating from that system. Okay. You have another system, which is a fat burner system. And this is where your body, instead of making energy from the foods you eat, it's making energy from burning fat. And this mm-hmm. is how you know you are in that system is the presence of ketones. So when ketones go up, now we know that we have tapped into that system. Okay. Now you were made to switch in and out of these two systems. It's that simple. So if you've never fasted before, if you've never gone into a ketogenic state, you have deprived your cells and your brain of 50% of the fuel that it needs to thrive. So when we look at food, we've got, why I like nature's carbs is because it's got fiber in it. So your blood sugar doesn't go insanely high. It goes a little bit high Mm -hmm. and that gives you quicker access to move into the fat burning system. Mm -hmm. So if you've never gone more than eight hours without food and you're not looking at the, the quality of the food you're eating, this system, you don't even know it. You haven't accessed it. Once you access it, 
you're going to be a flipping superhuman. And that's why I think so many people are falling in love with fasting is that they all of a sudden found a new fuel source that yeah. it works so much better for them. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Crazy, so, right? Yeah. So there's just no, there's just, there's no magic. It's just like do fasting properly. Is there a certain cycling you should do or anything? Like, is there anything that boosts the metabolism or boosts your thyroid function? Or is it oh, yeah, really thyroid. just like, like, how yeah. do we, how do we keep it all working? Cause like my thyroid was bullshit for the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be better now. I would, I would think it went up within two weeks of yeah. surgery being over. And that's just because that's when I tested was two weeks after. Right. So, okay. So let's, I, I want to go back to the thyroid too, be, and then I'll talk about the variations um, because there's a big myth that fasting kill is harmful to the thyroid. Right. I want to point out that fasting is not calorie restriction. So when you look right. at the studies done on T3 specifically, or T4 and T3 both, but a lot of T3 plummeted with calorie restriction, not time restriction. So when you eat, if you're going to fast, when you eat, eat, don't eat less, eat less often. It's, and mm. then you are actually nourishing the thyroid. So on the thyroid thing that is so fascinating is the studies show calorie restriction um, will start to bring down T3. Mm -hmm. And if you do that in combination with time restriction, yes, mm -hmm. now you've got yourself a thyroid problem. But here's what the study didn't point out because the studies are very nuanced, is that if you do time restriction eating and then you power up with the proper nutrients, when you refuel, you actually get more T3. You actually are able to get more thyroid hormones. So it is the, the in and out of fasting and fed state that starts to prime the metabolic pump, heals the organs, gets your, your hormones back on track. We can't, we can't villainize fasting. It's just not understood enough Got because it. that's how we're designed to be. Got it. What about um, just the last probably question about like the fasting windows? Like I understand the actual intermittent fasting window, but then once you're in your feeding window, um, is there a reason to have gaps between? Because I have, you know, I've tried to keep a few hours between or like four hours, but then all of a sudden I'm like the strategy's off and now I'm kind of hungry, <laughs> but I need to like, oh, so yeah. um, can you, is it, does it matter within for gut health or for anything like that? Um, it, it, I, not necessarily, here's the way I would look at your 24 hour cycle is that there's a, an eating time and there's a fasting time. Okay. So the way that I approach my day is I'll go, okay, how long am I going to fast for? So like this morning I've got, I'm on several interviews. So by one, I'll, I'll probably think about opening up my eating window. Mm -hmm. Once I open that eating window up, then I eat when I'm hungry. This is not deprivation. So yeah. if I, if I eat and then I'm hungry two hours later, I'll eat again. So it takes that like rigidity of dieting totally. out yeah. of it. It's like, okay. just once you open the window, you can eat, just eat good quality fit. Got it. Okay. 
Great. Okay. Well, I want to close up with a video that I saw you do recently about the benefits of community and Mm. emotions and just how that plays into our reality, because these are all things that, you know, everything we've talked about so far is mechanistic, you know, it's food windows, timing, hormones, things like that. But uh, a thing lost in our overall health that we forget about a lot of times, I think is this emotional state and the people we're surrounded by and and how we feel. So, you know, maybe just your sort of, you know, perspective and studies on the benefits of, and, and the, and the, and the downfall when this environment isn't correct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. You're, you're going right up my heart. So thank you for asking me that question because Mm. I feel like, especially in the last couple of years, we've been so isolated and we're not, we're not looking at community as a healing tool. Mm. And it, it, it almost, I mean, a positive community would be amazing. That's definitely, you want to hang around people who are synergistic with the way you want to think, but just being around humans creates this oxytocin benefit. And Mm. we get a little bit of oxytocin right now in this conversation, but if we were doing this live, both of our oxytocin surges would be so high. And you need lots of oxytocin to do exactly what we've been talking about, to bring cortisol down. When you bring cortisol down, you're going to bring insulin down. When you bring insulin down, you're going to balance your sex hormones. Mm. So when we look at how women try to balance their hormones, we come at the sex hormones without thinking about the impact oxytocin has on all the levels above those foundational hormones. So what, one of the things that I talk a lot about is a fasting lifestyle and that there are four pieces to it. One is what do you want to do? Cause that's the most important thing. Not everybody's fasting path is the same. The second is vary your fast. Third is vary your foods. And the fourth is do it in flipping community. Mm. We, we, when did health become a solo journey? It mm. shouldn't be a solo journey. I can get on a three-day water fast and do it by myself and maybe have an introspective spiritual you know health experience or i could do it with a group of people who are supporting me cheering me on i turn around and cheer them on and now that same 3 day water fast has more of a hormonal effect on me because i did it around people this isolation thing shit has to it has to stop Crazy. and if what i'm really excited about is if you look at what happened after the 1918 pandemic is that we went into the roaring 20s. Mm. What happened in the roaring 20s is that we got social. We started, the speakeasy started. And I'd like to point out that women cut their hair, they shortened their skirt, they started drinking, they started smoking. The flapper emerged after that pandemic. So what I'm really focused on right now is that for women specifically, I call it the empowered woman. We need to empower ourselves, connect with each other, not just for fun, for our hormonal benefit. And that needs to be sung from the mountaintops, in my opinion. Well, you just did. did. Thank Thank you. I think that's a, that's a perfect way to, to end is just to reaffirm that the importance of that. And, you know, we have had such trying times the last couple of years, but I firmly believe that, you know, through adversity and challenge, there's an awakening. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a a shift. It's, we're just kind of dealing with polarities. We're dealing with 
sort of balance. And yep. when it goes so much one way, it goes back the other way. Right. And, well so. said. Yeah. It's time for the paradigm to go, go back to hugging, touching, loving, connecting like that. We need that more now than ever. So yeah. So yeah. grateful. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh, what a densely informational, fascinating last hour. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.